Welcome to the Coast to Coast podcast. My name is Kyle. And I'm Misha. And today we're going to be talking about the film Queen and Slim, uh, as well as our recent, and I guess you could say changing thoughts on Disney Plus's The Mandalorian. Uh, and then we're going to dive into some Golden Globe uh, nominees and maybe some some thoughts on those in terms of snubs or surprises. Uh, but before we get into that, I actually want to take the time to apologize for the short hiatus that we took. Um, I was without internet when we normally record last week, and then it's kind of just taken us a few days to get to the point where we can record this week. But we're back, and we're here to stay. Um, but Kyle, how was your, how's your week been so far? Pretty good. And kind of going off of that, um, with the Christmas holiday coming up next week, um, I might be doing some traveling as well. So we might try to get an episode in even earlier. Normally we like to release on Mondays or Tuesdays. Um, but if I'm not going to be in town the latter part of the weekend, we might try to release something sooner and i'm thinking we might do something christmas related like maybe we'll do some rankings on christmas movies or maybe just talk about christmas movies that we like to watch and um and all that stuff yeah but besides that um i've kind of been diving into that christmas movie mode i guess the past few nights on on uh, disney plus um not a sponsor i've been watching like all the home alones i watched um the new disney plus original noel with bill Hader and anna kendrick that was last how was that um that was actually better than i thought it was gonna be um it's funny it's quirky it's a good like just kind of throw it on if you want to kind of get into the christmas mood type thing um yeah i feel like all the christmas movies are like that like if it's on tv around christmas time you'll put it on right yeah you can't really go wrong watching it there's there's some christmas movies that i've seen this year that i recommend not going to see but this one's definitely if you have disney plus you have an hour and a half to spare um throw it on bill Hader's funny and kendrick's nice to look at yeah i just watched uh national lampoon's christmas vacation on tv last night or the night before and that's a great christmas movie but it's definitely not the same on tv because there are some moments that just don't they can't show on tv they kind of Mm -hmm. uh, you know make the film yeah no i get it i get it but um i did however kind of over like you said our hiatus um we both had the opportunity to see queen and slim in theaters and this movie was definitely a different experience for me than any movie that i've seen the rest of the year and we'll get into that later but um i guess just your like general thoughts did you did you have a good viewing experience this time around or how was that for you yeah i i mean i thought it was really good generally obviously i'm have a pretty critical eye when it comes to most movies so of course there were things that i'll point out later but um generally i i liked the kind of idea behind the story um and I thought they did a pretty good job of not necessarily pushing a message too hard that it compromised kind of the narrative integrity of the movie. Um, and I, it felt a lot like a, uh, almost like a smoking the bandit or like just sort of like a classic, like Bonnie and Clyde type of story. Um, and while it had sort of, it's like gravitas, 
I think it was still like uh it was entertaining and it had its funny moments and um I, I thought it was really good and i'm kind of a sucker for romances and it did blossom into more of what i'd call a romance than anything else yeah i um i got to go see this movie um it was pretty late it was like a ten thirty showing mm-hmm. um well let me back that up a little bit i actually i'm gonna leave that out anyway so 10 30 showing it was late <laughs> um I, was gonna, <laughs> I i don't recommend pirating movies kids that's what i was gonna go for uh, okay don't do what i did yeah i'd say the same um go out and give the people their money they deserve um but i saw this movie um and it was like i said a different experience um for me the storyline i think was really well done again we'll get into kind of specifics um i did feel like the the love story i didn't really buy it a whole lot um but i did enjoy kind of seeing from from a different perspective kind of like what's kind of been happening in the whole the whole police like brutality kind of scene that's going on um Mm -hmm. i have never had an experience with that um but it's nice to kind of see the other end of it yeah i mean i don't think either of us can really speak from experience when it comes to i guess you could say sort of nervous or frightful interactions with the police um thankfully i think there's an obvious sort of like racial divide and i think with the proliferation of social media um that has definitely come to light in recent years and i think you know it's held both police departments and citizens accountable for their actions um but it's created a lot of tension throughout the country and i think that this movie was so timely because it basically took advantage of such a strong cultural I don't know what the right word for it is, but such a cultural like moment in American history and used it to amplify the dramatic effect of the film. Um, So to give kind of a quick plot recap for those who maybe haven't seen it yet, um, Queen and Slim essentially follows a first date um, between uh, Daniel Kaluuya's character, who is kind of colloquially known as Slim for the movie, and Jody Turner Smith, uh, who is the queen in Queen and Slim. Uh, and so they meet on Tinder and they have this sort of dinner date at a diner. And on their way back from the date, they basically have this um, encounter with a police officer that basically turns um, first from like annoyance to anger. And then finally, the encounter turns violent, um, where Daniel Kaluuya's character has to basically um, kill this police officer in fear for his life. And it was kind of a, not like, it was sort of a crime of passion. Um, and it's not like he was like maliciously like trying to kill this officer. It was sort of just like a bang, bang scenario. Um, and then the rest of the movie basically follows them on their, I guess you could call it journey to try to flee the police and the people that either help or hinder them along the way. Um, so I, I don't know about you, but like 
in the whole scene where they're basically driving home from the date and the encounter with the police happens one you know what's going to happen if you've seen a preview um but besides that like we were saying that sort of cultural racial tension that is pretty rife with throughout the country you could really feel that in the theater there was like this like thick air of anxiety or nervousness and um i i feel like it was really really powerful yeah and i would say that um the fugitives as they become and as one of the characters in the in the show actually greets them um the black bonnie and clyde is how they're referred mm-hmm. to and um right i thought that was a pretty cool reference that um that that was made although bonnie and clyde was kind of they were inf- infamously made famous because they killed people and they were guilty where they killed someone guilty nevertheless but kind of in self-defense but mm-hmm. i would say that the the movie it it runs more than two hours um i thought the pacing was a little bit slow yeah that was um, definitely one of my knocks on it as well so like this this movie that's kind of like a hot pursuit is doesn't really seem to be in too much of a hurry sure yeah there, there were definitely moments in the middle where i thought it was dragging um and you really felt the effects of that in the theater. Um, like I haven't seen the Irishman yet, which most notably has a three and a half hour runtime. Mm-hmm. But from what you tell me that that movie goes by really fast. It's almost like you don't even realize you've spent three and a half hours watching something right with this. It felt like an eternity. Like y- you definitely feel the whole two and close to half an hour uh, of the runtime. Um, and while it was, like very a very stylish uh, very well shot uh, yeah i think the pacing and i think directly correlated to that is the screenplay really kind of uh, dragged it along yeah and i think that the the style of the movie is really cool and i think the way that the um director melina matsukas is that how you pronounce her last name i think so yeah the way that she kind of like shoots and then the way that um even the way that they're dressed I think kind of makes a really like, cool mood for the film mm. and um, you kind of get a little backstory of everything. And then I think it's funny that um, I don't know what she was getting at, but the back of Slim's license plate um, read trust God. Mm-hmm. And they kind of like allude to that throughout the movie and how um, it seems as almost as if God's not really much help in, in situations like these, but that's yeah, they they really. I'm not really sure what they were trying to say about religion, mm-hmm. um, but there was definitely a really strong religious motif. Yeah. Um, so crosses were displayed prominently in a lot of the shots, um, mm-hmm. whether it was like family members who were helping them out or other ancillary characters, um, and then obviously the trust God license plate. Um, but yeah, I think like you said, Melina Matsukas and whoever the cinematographer were was did it really it, it was like shot really well um one instance that stands out to me is like in the beginning of the movie they're kind of at odds with each other like right before the cop basically pulls them over mm-hmm. the, the date isn't going so well right and she even and, said like yeah i'm not going on a second date with you i was just bored yeah totally um and like they do a good job of showing that sort of like 
space between them. They even like have this really cool shot where, you know, typically in the, in a movie when you're shooting two characters in a car, it's like from the hood and you see both of the characters. Mm-hmm. But she does this like really tight shot of them both like looking out each each side of the window, and it really like accentuates that sort of space that's between them and that awkwardness between them. And then as the film progresses and their relationship gets a little better. Um, you start to see them sort of come together in the frame of the film. Uh, So I thought that was done really beautifully. Um, And then it had like a really consistent palette as well. It was really like dark and moody and kind of brooding. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it played really well for the genre. And I think that you can kind of see in like during the many slow patches in the escape mm-hmm. that's happening where they, they travel from was like Cleveland to New Orleans to Florida. Um, mm-hmm. You, you see, as you're talking about like these two people begin to kind of eye each other. And um, there's like perhaps inspired by like all of their like sexy slow jams that they play in the car. <laughs> um, but you can kind of see like that. They're kind of like starting to be attracted to each other. And that's kind of like mm-hmm. where the story is going. And then, um, soon, you know, they're young and then they're in love and they don't care if they get caught. They don't care. Um, anything like that. They kind of take their time. They have that scene in, which I think is a graveyard. The, mm-hmm. like the very romantic scene. Um, very romantic. scene. <laughs> <laughs> very romantic. Yeah. But it's just like, well, keep it moving guys. Like you're trying to, you're on the run here, but, I mean, sure. Again, the the director's direction was definitely um, more so a the romantic type movie and the 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 development of the characters versus like a plausible just fugitive runaway movie. Yeah, definitely. I think they did a really good job of like establishing early on. Like, there's that scene once the crime basically happens that they're like trying to figure out what they should do. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm not a criminal. And she's like, well, well now you are. And that like whole realization that comes over him. And he, it's like these stakes are so incredibly high. It's like you, they're, they're living a life that most people would never have to experience in their lives. And so they take, you know, certain actions that the normal person wouldn't have to encounter on a daily basis. But, um, I'd like towards the end of their trip. Um, where Queen and Slim they take shelter with that the white couple, mm-hmm. um, whose background is is also unexplained, but whose like hideaway outfitted house kind of like suggested this modern day underground railroad for like pretty much like people on the run, yeah, or fugitives, like... even like radicals, I guess you could call them, yeah. Um, and then like another another station that I that they stopped at was that auto repair shop. Like you were saying where they had the picture on the hood mm-hmm. of the car and they kind of like inspire that teenage boy to join a street protest that eventually turns violent. But it's just like, that's like one of two bloody scenes designed to shock and awe mm-hmm. like more sympathetic or yeah. Sympathetic audiences. Yeah. So, that I really that's the scene that like took this from being close to like a perfect movie to me having some real problems with it um because I think for for most of the film the film is kind of grounded in reality 
Um, you know, I feel like artists, when, you, when you're planning a film, like you're kind of making one, a choice. It's either going to be a film that's pretty much grounded in reality or it's going to be like artistic and maybe take some liberties that, of course, viewers are going to understand wouldn't happen in the like the real world or in a logical sense. Um, and I think they, the director kind of confused the two with this film. And I'm not saying you have to follow a certain model or your choice has to be completely binary, one or the other. Um, but I think for most of the film, every, everything was um, pretty much grounded in reality. And like, regardless of the choices that the characters made that are sometimes questionable, everything could be kind of believable. Um, and I think it took a way too artistic turn that they didn't need to take to still get the message across about um, moral ambiguity and, um, you know, the racial divide in this country between, um, you know, law enforcement and minorities. Um, but. Yeah. And it's just, like I said, the that was one of the two bloody scenes for me that was kind of like very off-putting. And then the other one was the like pretty climatic showdown at the end of the film where they're on the runway. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, it didn't seem to make much sense as a full like culmination of like the narrative. It's like this whole thing was happening, this whole movie, they're on the run and then it ends by them essentially just getting gunned down for no reason. Mm-hmm. And like out in the open and then, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, with that, taking what you said, I, I do think that there were certain things that just weren't believable. And to me, movies, to me, are a lot more engaging, a lot more entertaining when they make a choice and they stick to it. Um, so, you know, that end scene where they're basically gunned, so spoiler alert, <laughs> where they're basically gunned down by police when they're unarmed and really aren't doing much to threaten the police, I thought was really unbelievable but it gave the film the kind of climactic ending that it probably was going for um to me their their journey and their attempt to escape isn't necessarily like the focal point of the movie i think it had a was trying to promote a much much more subliminal message of like you know there are good and bad people in every form you know there's good and bad cops there's good and bad uh, minorities you know there's like you know the the guy who's supposed to be helping them who basically rats them out to the police for the bounty um and there's that sheriff who basically lets them kidnap him and is like not surprised at you know one of his fellow police officers gunning down uh, a black person or you know something like that so I can kind of be okay with some of the stuff that wasn't believable knowing that they were trying to promote a stronger message. Yeah. And this, in this movie also kind of when I was watching it, I had a lot of like flashbacks kind of to last year's um, Mm -hmm. green book. Did you have a chance of seeing that? Yeah, I did see green book best picture winner. Yeah. So I, I kind of had that sort of vibe. Um, kind of i guess more so during just like the safe havens and them kind of traveling and um having conversations in that movie 
car trips that's and conversations. That's a pretty good point. Like, yeah. In that movie, the car trips and the conversations kind of solve everything. Um, where in this movie, it kind of just only buys you more time. But, um, yeah, if you haven't seen Green Book, I would definitely check that out as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, you're right. I mean, a, a large portion of the film is them like on the open road, uh, kind of their relationship developing. The, the one thing that I didn't quite get was like, I don't think either of them had cell phones. I think they threw those out early, right? Yeah, because they, they don't want to be tracked. Yeah, tried. Yeah. And like, unless they had a map, they they just took all these like. I just thought it was weird. They never got on like an expressway, like a six lane highway. Mm-hmm. Um, they were always like taking these back roads and they just like always knew where to get, where to go. Yeah. Uh, again, like that doesn't necessarily like ruin the movie for me, but I just thought it was funny. Yeah. But um, I think it's still in theaters now. If you're looking for a movie like this and you think what we had to say persuaded you to go or persuaded you not to go, um follow follow your heart or your Absolutely. brain but going into our next conversation um the mandalorian so yes the mandalorian um is a 100 million dollar show about nothing there's yeah there's no there seems to be no overarching plot. There's not a whole lot of character development. And, you know, it's there's six episodes. And from what I've seen, there's still no emotional stakes or pretty much any, indica- any indication that these issues that are happening are going to be resolved. Is that kind of... We, we had a lot of high praise for the first three episodes. I don't know if it was kind of our hype taking over, but... Could you, I mean, you kind of, you've dived into this universe a little bit more than I have. Do you kind of see yourself on a downward trajectory to kind of leaving the Mandalorian behind? Yeah. I mean, I I do have to admit four five and six really, I feel like it's almost like watching a different show. Um, And like, let me be clear about the Star Wars universe, which is something that I've loved and that basically grew up on. I mean, by the, before I was walking, I was watching star Wars. Um, but the star Wars movies have never been, you know, the, the exemplar of, you know, cinematography or, you know, really like super character driven stories. Um, they're not perfect films. Um, and I think that Disney plus had a real opportunity to create something, special and unique in the star Wars universe. And I think those first three episodes were starting to get on the right track um, because I I think they had those elements that you were talking about, Um, you know, an engaging plot, um, you know, narrative movement, character development, um, as well as some stuff that a lot of star Wars fans love to see. Um, But to me, four, five, and six have seemingly seen the Mandalorian just like jet off to a new planet in each episode and just kind of accomplish some mundane and off focus task that makes me feel like they're just trying to fill eight episodes and get to a second season. Um, mm-hmm. it, it really feels like the narrative wheels are, are kind of burning out here. Yeah. And, and they certainly, did 
I think everyone they did really well with selling the baby Yoda character for sure um that's at this point like the movie like the show is like this walking action figure and his merchandising friendly pet to me but i think that um i think the episode six um or chapter six the prisoner the prisoner i think it's a fairly promising concept that the that the story was going for meeting up with this older connection who they're going to help break a prisoner out of this Republic ship. Um, So I think, I think it's, it's headed in a fine direction. Like I said, narratively, I guess, but for me, those emotional stakes, those are things that I look for in, in movies and in TV shows, some way to connect to the character, the main character, and at this point, there's there's just nothing there, for me, to the Mandalorian. No, I, I agree. Like, and those first three episodes were really strong. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you obviously have like, the plot is all centered around um, the Mandalorian finding Baby Yoda and his sort of feelings of attachment towards it, and that kind of culminates in his like breakout in the third episode. And you continue, you you expect the plot to continue to really revolve around Baby Yoda. Um, and the Mandalorian's like conflicted feelings toward his duty as a bounty hunter and his feelings for Baby Yoda, and I feel like that all just goes away. It, it's there in Episode Four, but Episode Five, I, I was watching it and it, I seriously was like, "Is this the same show?" Like it's so campy and cheesy, and it was everything that like you know Star Wars. All these reboots are a lot, very much about nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like this does it like ad nauseum. It's just like checking a bunch of boxes. It's like, you know, Tatooine, the bar that, um, you know, Luke meets Han Solo in in the first episode, and then they're on speeder bikes and all this stuff. Um, and the Tusken Raiders, the, the encounter with the Tusken Raiders in episode five was straight up weird. Um, but... Yeah, I, I think episode six largely was like very entertaining. It had like some good action sequences. The acting in this show across the board has been pretty terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was willing to forgive that just based on my, my kind of fandom. But at this point, it's just getting like really kind of cringy. Uh, th- this isn't to say that I'm not going to watch the rest of the season. Um we still have an episode from Deborah Chow who directed episode three, which in my mind is probably one of the better episodes of the season so far. Um, so there is hope, but I just like am not as enthusiastic about the show as I was when it started. Mm-hmm. And there's two episodes remaining, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Deborah Chow's episodes next. And then Taika Waititi is going to be directing the season finale. Interesting. Yeah. And he, he voiced the bounty hunter droid in the first episode. Gotcha. Yeah, and and the show it hasn't it certainly hasn't made many attempts to to hide that it's like a family friendly serial adventure, but I don't think that because I've seen some people online who say that oh it's like this family friendly adventure show it's it's playing safe. Um, I don't think that that's really an excuse though for kind of like this 
stagnation that's been happening. Mm-hmm. And I mean, people say it's playing it safe, but it's barely playing anything at all, really. Yeah, I I almost wish they'd made sort of a compromise because obviously, like Disney can't really release too much that's like too graphically violent or like that doesn't appeal to a younger audience. Mm-hmm. But it almost would have been nice to see them maybe go out on a limb and make something strictly for maybe an older audience or one that could handle uh, some more gravity and some more like emotional conflict. Um, I, I just think that, that Disney, there's like an opportunity there. Yeah. And and they've kind of, they've done things that could be, I guess, considered a little bit more adult, um, certainly, but I guess that's not their, not their MO for the Mandalorian, at least for season one. Of course they could receive all of this feedback and then season two and so on could be great. Um, so I guess we can give them the benefit of the doubt question mark. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I mean, we have, we definitely have another season of this, you know, the second season has been approved. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I'd like to see if the show is something, if they're going to take almost the Marvel approach where like, you're going to have to watch every piece of star Wars of the star Wars saga in order to understand the next coming like show or movie. Um, I, I don't really want that to happen, but like if I have to sit through a bunch of mediocre spinoff shows to watch the next Star Wars movie, I'm going to be pretty pissed. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like when I didn't, like, <laughs> I don't remember what happened in the Ant-Mans. So when they make weird, obscure Ant-Man references in like the Avengers, <laughs> I just like clueless. <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, well that works i guess but yeah i actually um i'll be seeing the new star wars movie on thursday i bought my tickets um a couple days ago lucky you yeah so i'll be going with a couple friends i gotta figure out when i can see that i'll probably i'm visiting my brother for christmas and obviously we, we watched a lot of the movies together and grew up on star wars playing battlefront or playing with like plastic lightsabers mm-hmm. um and i know his son and uh steps on are like super into star wars so it might end up going with them but um all right to kind of branch off into that have you seen the previews for the new star wars i've seen one trailer i um it seems to be the same one that i see every time i have like stopped watching them like when i see them come on i either like turn away or like plug my ears because they gave away so much i watched the full like the latest full trailer and i was like Uh wow like do i need to even go see the movie anymore Mm. um but yeah i I mean what i'm looking for i didn't i didn't get that but if i don't i don't know what i'm looking for in the story i'm not gonna see it i guess yeah i mean i guess they probably wouldn't give super crucial plot points away, but like there are things in the trailer that I would have rather not have seen until the movie. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah. Trailers Uh, can like, they could ruin a movie for sure. Yeah. They really, really could. Um, did you ever see the, the film? I think it was good night, mommy. Good night. I saw the Swedish one with you. Oh yeah. We watched that together. Is that the name of that? Yeah, and it's basically the twin about boys. like the two twin boys who the whole movie is like sort of about 
the like they think that their mom has been replaced. Yeah, yeah, I saw that with you. Yeah. But it turns mm-hmm. it turns out that the boys were actually like, it was like a major twist. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really interesting because they go full in with all they went full in with all the previews for that movie in portraying making it seem like a horror movie that portrays the mom as like the evil one. So you go into the movie with this whole expectation that she is the one that yeah, and then the twist is like supported by the previews. I just thought that was like a really interesting use. Mm-hmm. It's like the movie doesn't have to stand alone. It's like the previews can almost amplify the effect of the movie. Hmm. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah, I agree. Previews these days are sometimes a little too much. But moving on to bigger and better things. It's not only... <laughs> list making season as i'm sure you all have seen online pez movies here top 10 movies here um it's also award season so the 2020 golden globe nominations um supposedly honoring the finest films and tv of 2019 as chosen by the hollywood foreign press association were announced um what a couple of weeks ago the golden globe nominees uh-huh i think it was last week last week that's yeah what, yeah so they were um we have the whole list here i don't know how you i don't know if you want to run into all of them or maybe just pick some of the more popular categories and have our thoughts on them yeah for sure i mean i think a lot of these are largely things that we saw coming so you know when it comes to best motion picture drama uh joker's on there the irishman's on there um I've, knives I've, knives yeah. out is a best most best motion picture nominee as well for comedy right? Uh, yeah for a comedy mm-hmm. um and someone that we were unsure of whether they deserved a nomination or not daniel craig was uh, nominated for best actor in a musical or comedy as well for pair <laughs> for uh knives out um i think yeah. the one the thing that's been making the biggest headlines is the best director category so in that category we have who let's see here. so we have bong joon ho for parasite and yep. see if you can spot the pattern here <laughs> if sam mendez for 1917 which is also on my list to see this week um todd phillips for the joker martin scorsese for the irishman and quentin tarantino for once upon a time in hollywood interesting do you know what those people all have in common well one that i can't find them on my list (laughs) (laughs) um but they've all won before no they're all male but ding 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 they're all male yeah and they're all pretty much things that we've talked about in this show uh yeah that's true maybe (laughs) exposing some of our own slants um i haven't seen little women yet i'm sorry um yeah so i mean obviously there was the kind of viral moment last golden globes where natalie portman was like now announcing the all-male nominees for best director Mm -hmm. um and it seems like the uh the association didn't necessarily catch on this year um although the oscar is a lot more they're a lot more political than I think the Golden Globes are. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree. But all the um, but, are political. 
you'd think in the face of obviously that moment last year and then the whole Oscars too white um, kind of movement a few years ago that they'd still be sensitive to that. Although like off the top of my head, I can't really think of uh, movie like directors I'd put in that list of like female directors in front of those guys. Um, I, I haven't seen little women yet. Like I said, but Greta Gerwig um, who, you know, most notably directed Lady Bird recently. Um, she got a lot of praise for that film. Um, again, can't really say much about it myself, not having seen it, but, um, you know, you would have liked to have seen maybe one or two nods towards uh, a female director. Right. Was Bomb or is Bombshell directed by a female? Um, I'm not sure. I'm interested in seeing that. It's not out yet, but... That got a ton of nominees as well. Um, so Charlize Theron was nominated for lead actress role. Um, and I believe Margot Robbie was or nominated for a supporting role as well. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm really interested in seeing that. Um, and I think in award season, people get a lot of praise for portraying real life people. Um, I mean, think of um, Remy Malek's uh, Freddie Mercury winning best picture press actor last year mm-hmm. um, or, you know, any other of the probably tens of portray- portrayals of real life, real life characters who have won awards. Well, that's the same thing that you'll see whenever you watch the Irishman um, Al Pacino mm-hmm. plays Jimmy Hoffa. Um, and he, I think he's also up for best performance by an actor in a supporting role as well. Yes. So, Al Pacino, as well as uh, Joe Pesci, was also nominated for a Golden Globe, but one that is most notably missing is Robert De Niro, um, who, correct me if I'm wrong, but he's more or less the, you know, principal main actor in that film. Yeah. And then I see that Tom uh-huh. Hanks is, is uh, nominated for A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. And to be honest, I had zero interest and seeing that movie yeah i it, it seems about right for tom hanks right. um i feel like he's just gonna be like make a career until he drops dead of playing like real life oh. like nice old dudes mm-hmm. um there's like captain phillips or sully or now mr rogers um I'm just trying to think of like what'll come next uh, who knows um, Toy story five yeah yeah <laughs> Um, I think in terms of TV, the one thing that I think really took me by surprise, but that I'm not, well, one thing that took me by surprise, took me, took me by surprise, yeah, excuse me, that mainly because of how it performed in the years prior is the lack of Game of Thrones nominations for Golden Globes. Yeah. Did they get anything besides best actor no i think it was really just kit harrington um and then you know in categories that they've been nominated or even won for in the past including best um you know series like drama series or um you know lena Headey's gotten nominations um uh, peter dinklage has gotten nominations Um, they've even had like writing and screenplay nominations as well and i think it's largely missing and i think that really just reflects on how bad that last season of game of thrones was yeah it was tough and to believe that those those 
directors almost had the Lord of the Rings show in their hands. That was scary. Yeah, that's crazy. I am a big Lord it, of the Rings fan. Yeah, I I love Lord of the Rings. Um, and it would have been a shame to see what happened to Game of Thrones happen to Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Um, it's really weird, that, like, the legacy of Game of Thrones now. Yeah, it used to be like, I mean, I guess it was even when it was bad, but it was like the like water cooler show of like the century. Like everyone was watching this show. Everyone was talking about it at work online. And it went from like everyone was talking about how great it was to everyone was talking about how much they hated it. And that was such a sad thing to see because I I love the movie or the show in the first like three to four seasons and um be able to relate to everyone and mm-hmm. it was cool like how people kind of adopted like the the houses and the show and how um it kind of evolved into kind of like this societal like i don't know how to explain it but it was just like every everyone is watching the show and yeah it was like woven into society yeah it's like oh you don't watch game of thrones like what are you doing yeah. with your life and it's not even like it was just uh an american thing like it, you could talk to somebody from like bangladesh they're gonna know mm-hmm. game of thrones and i remember um, like studying like the game of thrones like wiki and like yeah. deep into like the lore and like oh what's gonna happen this is really cool and like getting into the background of everything and then none of it paid off none of it resurfaced <laughs> Yeah, that that's the thing. It, it was so weird because I am almost done with the third book out of five. And like you said, there is so much lore. Like I would say like a good quarter to a third of what I've read so far has just been like ancient lore within the, the Game of Thrones universe. And you sort of like expect it to come back in some way because you think that anything that gets put down on paper is significant. You know, they always say that everything's intentional. Mm-hmm. Um but it's like a lot of it didn't really pan out. Yeah. Um, and to me, like when I think back to game of Thrones, I'm almost like disillusioned. Like mm-hmm. there was a time because I didn't watch it before at all before the very last season. And I like caught up um, and I was just like in love with it. And I was like, so ready for this epic end of the end of the series. And it just fizzled out and died. And like looking back on it, it's almost like, it's almost like one of those embarrassing memories that you try to like suppress in yourself and you like you're like lying awake at night late at night and it like pops in your head and you're just like oh like get get out of here yeah uh, but uh yeah it's really a shame uh i feel like they need to do like a 30 for 30 <laughs> on like what happened to game of thrones <laughs> <laughs> or like some sort of documentary because it, it really was a weird like cultural phenomenon yeah it was yeah, like I said, it was it went downhill pretty quickly, and it's a shame. Um, but I did I really enjoyed my time watching the show. Um, I think I would still watch it if I someone told me how mm-hmm. that was gonna end. Because um, at that point, you're so you're so in it to win it that it's like, well, you're gonna go down with it, I guess. You come this far. Yeah. But any um any movies to wrap things up? Any movies that you're looking forward to, um to finish out the year? Yeah, so I, 
I still have a ton on my list that I need to check off. So um, obviously the Irishman, it's more about finding three and a half free hours of my day. I might try to watch it tonight <laughs> um, and knock that one out. Also marriage story is on my list, oh, just yeah. given it's kind of ease of accessibility, given that it's on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's another one that has quite a few nominations uh, for the golden globes. Um, I'm also really excited about 1917. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like Sam Mendes. I enjoyed uh, his take on James Bond with Skyfall. Um, and I think it is a really intriguing story. That has a Game of Thrones character in it, um, mm-hmm. as well as Sexy Priest from Fleabag. So um, excited about that one. Yeah, I'm um, probably looking forward to Uncut Gems the most. Yeah, um, totally. I'm kind of kind of excited to see... I've seen so much buzz about like Adam Sandler in this role and how he's nominated and how he says he's better win or else. Mm-hmm. And um, plus, like I'm a big Celtics fan, so that yeah. is a big draw as well with KG starring in the movie. Um, it's uh, yeah, it almost yeah. would have been a 76ers thing for me if they'd cast Joel Embiid. <laughs> yeah, Did you hear what uh, Adam Sandler's ultimatum was? That he was going to, like, make a really bad movie on purpose. Yeah. yeah. He's going to make another, like, Jack and Jill type movie if they don't <laughs> if they don't give him the Oscar. He's going to make another Adam Sandler movie. So Sam, who we featured on the show in the past and who's gone to a lot of those premieres, um, had a lot of great things to say about Uncut Gems. Um, and I think she knows my taste in movies pretty well, and she expressly was like, yeah, you'll, you'll like it. Well, good. Um, I'm hoping it's but, like uh, a... Um like a snatch or like a lock stock and two smoking barrels. Sure. Did you ever see good time with Robert Robert Pattinson? Pattinson. Yeah. I did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's directed by the Safdie brothers. Um, so you can probably expect the same sort of style of movie, um, which I'd say isn't far from, um, Guy Ritchie's like snatch and, and other, um, like, like movies. Mm -hmm. Is it Guy Ritchie? Yeah. Did I get that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and then cats, like I got to give cats a chance. Never oh, seen the yeah. musical, but, uh, it looks intriguing. <laughs> Jason Derulo. Yeah. I, I was like, I was kind of weirded out by the first trailer I saw. And then the more I watched it, I, I've just been like sucked in. Mm-hmm. Well, if, if anything, it won't be worse than, uh, than black Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Well, what was so your funny. verdict on black Christmas? Um, so the movie was terrible. I would probably say two out of 10 and I'm only giving it two because I'm a sucker for like cheesy slasher films <laughs> and Greek life and Greek life. Um, <laughs> and if you don't have any experience with Greek life, this is not what it's like. We don't have yeah. like magical rituals and go around killing people intentionally. Yeah, I feel like film and TV's portrayal of Greek life isn't always, um, objective. Right. Right, right. But I'm sure there will be a second one. One, because the way it ended kind of alluded to a second one. And it's also, it was also directed by the same people who did Happy Death Day, where that, like, imbecile of a a girl, like, kept dying over and over again. And (laughs) they they made a second one of those, but... She couldn't figure it out. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Which kind of, like, leads into, like, my wreck for the week. But if Mm -hmm. we're not ready for that, then we can wrap it up with what you have to say no it's all you so my rec for the week is actually a book 
um, that I just finished. It's called The Immortalist. Uh, it's by Chloe Benjamin. And I would say that this book, The Immortalist, is pretty much like the perfect book to pick up if you don't know what to read next. Um, it's, it's a page turner. It's really well written. The characters are great and pretty unforgettable. Um, the novel starts off with a fantastical premise, I guess you could say, where it's about what would happen if you found out the exact day of your death and kind of mm. like explores like the raw painful and kind of like unexpected consequences of what happens when a person has to kind of live with that knowledge of knowing when they're going to die. Um, so I would check out the immortalist if you don't know what to read next, be sure to check it out. I unfortunately didn't come prepared with a rec, so I'll take you at your word. <laughs> <laughs> and as always, thanks again for listening. Um, we do apologize for the lack of content this past uh, couple weeks, but we have a lot in store for wrapping up this year with the awards that are coming out. And then we're going to um, pretty much snowball right into 2020, uh, kicking off the new year here uh, shortly. Yeah. So uh, do you want to plug the new Twitter account too? Yeah. So we did finally get a Twitter. Um, this kind of came to light when we weren't um, recording that we kind of wanted to have a way to tell you guys hey this came up sorry about this um so our our new twitter if you are a twitter person and i'm sorry if you don't use twitter we might explore other avenues in the future but it's at c2c podcasting so that's twitter.com slash c2c podcasting you can follow us on there um tweet at us dm us share articles with us on there if you'd like um but yeah i would say we're also always um on we're all ears we're yeah we're pretty much <laughs> always on twitter me and misha are big fans of twitter i would yeah. say so we're around um but again made it this far in the show thanks again share comment give us a good rating um apple podcasts spotify our good friends at Anchor and we'll talk at you next week talk to you later bye